are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Matthew chapter number 9, with your Bible open tonight, please. Matthew chapter number 9. And and verse number 9, in fact, is my text for this hour. Now, I'd like to remind you that next Sunday is Mother's Day, and we plan to give a nice Bible to the youngest mother and to the mother with the most children present with her and uh, the oldest mother. Now, you can either have a nice Bible or you can have your portrait of your family made by Brother Rutledge. He'll be here with his camera, and if you prefer the picture, we'll have that available. Now, this might be a good time for some of you to have a picture made of your family because uh, Brother Rutledge will be here with his equipment. And if you'd like to have a picture made, you just come prepared. And after the service, you get in touch with him, and he'll carry you back to one of the Sunday school rooms and make that picture for you and your family and your children. You'll be all dressed up and have your family with you. You Go back to the uh, uh, J.E. Sparks building there around the steps. Make an ideal place to make a nice portrait of your family. And you can do that Sunday if you want to. And then on the third Sunday, uh, uh, that is the fourth Sunday in May, the 27th of May, we're going to have Baby Day, and all the young mothers will bring their uh, babies from two years down. Any baby two years or down, uh, we want those mothers to have those babies printed up and ready right here. And between the uh, Sunday school hour and the preaching hour, we'll get them all up here on the platform. And Brother Rutledge is going to make a picture of all the young mothers of their babies in one great big picture. Uh, that's the 27th of May, and don't you miss it now. I, w- I would like to have every child uh, that we have, every baby that we have in our church in that picture. You know, sometimes that we, we have, you ought to just come out here some rainy day and just look at our pictures. We've got draw upon draw of pictures, some of them 20 and 25 years old. And uh, every once in a while I stop by the picture in the uh, chapel and look at my mama. And I look at old Brother Chapelier and Mrs. Chapelier and look at those saints of God that have gone on. Their pictures are on the, uh, in that picture in the, in the chapel now. But we have hundreds of pictures that we made down through the years. And I, I don't know whether I'll live to see the babies that are now two years and undergrown. I may not, but I want them for you. Uh, so that you can have them in years to come, the Lord willing. And if I was you, I just wouldn't miss that for anything. Uh, all the young mothers. Now, we'll do that 27th of May, the Lord willing. Now, here's a text of Scripture I want to point out to you tonight for a moment. Uh, in Matthew chapter number 9, verse 9. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, uh, note in the, in the head of the chapter in your school for your Bible, in chapter 9, Jesus returns to Capernaum. And he heals a man that's born uh, palsied, a man born with paralysis and never walked a step in his life, born by four to the house in Capernaum where he was gloriously healed. You'll find the same record in Mark chapter number 2. And I preached on that story many times down through the years. It's a beautiful story and a wonderful story. Uh, Four men with compassion about a brother uh, who was sick and who needed help. And the Lord touched him, and he went healing, rolled his bed up, picked it up, put it on his shoulders, walked out of the house, carried his own bed up on his shoulder, and the people began to glorify God and praise the Lord, we're told, uh, because of that great miracle that they saw 
our Lord Jesus performed there in the house in Capernaum. Now, Capernaum today does not exist. We know where it was. It's been my joy to visit the ruins of Capernaum. And several other of you brethren have been there. And in your mind now, you can see that uh, ruined synagogue, the ruins of that synagogue uh, in Capernaum. You can also see the uh, uh, some of the floor of what they call Peter's house. We don't know for sure that it was Peter's house or not. But anyway, the ceramic tile uh, is still there that's been down for over 2,000 years. And uh, all the houses and the buildings have long since broken down. But there's a good deal of the ruins of Capernaum, the Capernaum that yet remain. But I said that to say to you that our Lord, after his baptism of John in Jordan, moved to Capernaum in Galilee from Nazareth. He was read up as a boy and a young man in Nazareth, some 15 or 20 miles away from Galilee. But upon his baptism by John, he moved his uh, residence to Capernaum. And his mailing address was Capernaum of Galilee on the northern shores of the Lake of Galilee, hard on the shore of the Lake of Galilee. And he lived there for three years until he died upon Calvary in Jerusalem. And even in Jerusalem, when he went down to die, knowing that his time was fulfilled, uh, he made the trip for, uh, from Capernaum to Jerusalem and tarried with Martha and Mary and Lazarus, resurrected Lazarus in Bethany, just across the Mount of Olives from the ancient city of Jerusalem. And from Bethany walked back and followed for seven days in that last Passion Week uh, before his death upon Calvary. But our Lord lived in Capernaum of Galilee, very lovely area, just uh, the slopes rise gradually out of the blue waters of Galilee, and the slopes are green and grassy, and I imagine the city of Capernaum, when our Lord lived, uh, was probably a village of uh, maybe a thousand people, I wouldn't think a large city, Tiberias that still remains there on the shores of Galilee is a city of about 25,000. And it was there when our Lord lived, of course much smaller no doubt, uh, 2,000 years ago. But Tiberias is still there, but there is no Capernaum. It's long since become extinct. You remember our Lord pronounced a judgment upon Capernaum, and Capernaum became completely extinct. But when our Lord lived, a, a lovely village, no doubt, on a very lovely site, the northern shore of Blue Galilee, our Lord lived there for three years. Now, not only did our Lord live in Galilee, or Capernaum, but Simon Peter lived there, and uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, uh, lived there. In fact, most of the disciples, all of the disciples, with the exception of Paul, were from Galilee. And probably all of them were from either Tiberias or Capernaum. And uh, the one that I'm reading about tonight, we're pretty sure, was uh, from uh, Tab uh, Capernaum, Matthew, the tax collector. And so when the Lord passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew. And this was the first time that his name appears in the Bible. Not the last time by any means, because in the very next chapter, we're going to find that our Lord gathers together and identifies all 12 of the apostles in chapter 10 and verses 2 and 3. The 12 apostles or disciples are named for the first time in the Bible. And among the 12 is familiar Matthew, the tax collector. And here's the first time that his name appears uh, in the Word of God. Jesus saw a man, not just a man, but a man named Matthew, making it very personal. I think the Lord knew exactly 
who Matthew was and what Matthew was and exactly what God planned to do with the life of this uh, public-minded citizen who maybe had spent many years in the service of the Roman government as a tax collector. He was an IRS agent. And he was a man that filled out your income taxes and took your money. And if you didn't pay like you should have in that day, he was a man that probably came to see you to bring you into court to make you pay up, you see. Your taxes have to be paid. Well, that was Matthew, and he was not a novice, I wouldn't think. I imagine he'd probably been at that job for quite a long time. I don't know, but I would imagine it was probably the best-paying job that any of the twelve enjoyed. Now, most of the disciples were fishermen. Peter, James, and John were fishermen. Uh, Matthew wasn't. Uh, he was a public official. Uh, he was in the civil service, so to speak. He was an employer, uh, an employee, rather, of the Roman government. And in our, our day, that would have been a very important position. Probably Matthew was a tax collector by direct appointment by Caesar in Rome. And maybe, I couldn't prove it, but maybe uh, his salary was probably as high and as large as any man that lived in all Capernaum. Uh, he was a very important man, a tax collector, not a novice, but experienced in his work and no doubt well-trained in his work and no doubt well-paid. Uh, he probably would have been the last one of the twelve that you thought would have forsaken all to follow Jesus. Now, Matthew, uh, Peter, James, and John uh, forsook their fish's nets, and uh, I imagine they had quite a sizable amount of money invested in their nets and in their boats and in their fishing apparatus. Uh, uh, they made uh, fishing as an occupation, and you wouldn't get in it to make a living without some equipment, a boat and nets and other things that go along with that. And, of course, they got rid of all of that when they followed the Lord. But I don't think Peter, James, and John gave up Quite as much as did Matthew. I would imagine Matthew stepped further down, uh, humanly speaking, to become a disciple than any other of the twelve, with the possible exception of Paul later on. But Matthew was a very important man, and the Lord knew that he was a very important man. But God knew also that uh, Matthew was going to write the first gospel. And this first gospel is very much like uh, the first book in the Pentateuch, Genesis. I, the book of Genesis is the seedbed of all of the Bible. I would not say that about Matthew. Uh, but I can say that it's the first of four Gospels. And the first in any of God's divine order is an important thing. Whatever it might be, whether it's a man, or whether it's a prophet, or whether it's a book. And when God makes something first, uh, you better sit up and note. And Matthew is the first of the four Gospels. And in the record, the first of the apostles call was Matthew. And here he is now, called of the Lord, a man named Matthew. And the Lord knew that he had not only uh, the potential as a man, but he had the ability to write this first gospel. And this first gospel is the longest of all the four, 28 chapters, and the others are not that long, not quite as bulky. Uh, in other words, the historical record of our Lord's life is more completely given in Matthew than in any other of the uh, three Gospels, you see. Very important work. That's not to say now that the other Gospels are not equally inspired. I'm simply saying that Matthew is first, like Genesis is first in the Pentateuch. And the Lord knew that, no doubt, and foreknew all of that when he called this man to be a disciple. And so he saw a man named 
Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom where he did sit every day of his life. And people came by uh, his office, so to speak, and filled out their income taxes and paid their income tax obligation. They'd been doing that for years. I would imagine probably Matthew was known by almost every adult in all the area of Galilee because they had to go to him to pay the taxes to the Roman government. And so there he is, seated at the receipt of custom, and Jesus saith unto him, Follow me. And the Bible simply yet profoundly says, And he arose and followed him. Now I just can't believe that it was quite that simple. Now not that I don't believe what the Bible says I do, and of course you know I do. But I'm trying to say to you that there was evidently more behind it than simply the Lord saying, follow me. I couldn't imagine that Matthew had never heard of who the Lord was prior to this moment. It could have well been, the Bible doesn't say, but it could have well been that Matthew was in that house described in verses 1 down through verse number 8 where the man sick of the palsy was healed. He could have well been in that congregation and saw that great miracle of power and great miracle of healing. Or he could have heard Jesus speak uh, somewhere else. He could have well stood on the slopes of Galilee and heard the Lord speak uh, before and teach uh, before. And I'd rather believe that, uh, that Matthew was very intelligently informed. In fact, he could have well heard the Lord deliver uh, the uh, Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is recorded in chapters 5 and 6 in Matthew. And it could have well been that Matthew was in that crowd and heard the Lord give the Sermon on the Mount. I'm saying to you that no doubt there is ample background in the life of Matthew for the Lord to walk up to the receipt of custom and say, follow me. And without any argument, without any delay, he turns his work over to his assistant and says, I won't be back in the morning, goodbye. And he walked out. And walked off a good-paying job. I mean a good-paying job. I wonder what he was going to tell his wife when he got home that night. He'd been tax collector for a long time, and she'd gotten accustomed to living sumptuously. And now he's walked off his job, and no payroll at the first of the month. wonder how she, what she thought when he got home that night and reported to his wife that he turned his books over to his assistant, and he was no longer a tax collector. wonder what his children thought. I wonder, what his, I wonder what his assistant thought. I imagine his assistant might have said, Well, I've wanted your job for a long time. You make twice what I make, and now I've got your job. And he was tickled to death, no doubt. But Matthew left it all and followed Jesus without any argument, without any delay. Now, evidently, it had been weighing up in his heart. Something, somewhere, the Lord had said that really had gotten close to Matthew. And no doubt Matthew had made a lot of mistakes in his books recently because his mind was not on his work. Now, I couldn't prove that either. But I would imagine Matthew had been so excited about the gospel he'd heard and about this preacher, Jesus of Nazareth, and about this man that had gotten healed and others who had gotten healed until he just couldn't concentrate upon his work. And when the Lord came by, much like the blind man, you remember the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus passed by, he cried out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy upon me. 
And Matthew must have had something like that within his own soul. When the Lord passed by, I imagine Matthew was not surprised in the least when Jesus said, follow me. I imagine he said, I've been expecting you to say that to me. I'm ready to go. And when Jesus said, follow me, he checked out and walked off that job and gave it all up to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, I, let me say this uh, for fear I forget to say it later. When God called me to preach, I didn't have to leave anything. I mean, I had nothing. I was a nobody. I was right up on the wrong side of the railroad tracks as far as the world is concerned. I've heard preachers talk about giving up a, a high-paying job, and I've given up a fat position uh, with some company, but I didn't have that problem. When I was called to preach, I was making a total of $22.25 a week. And I had a wife to take care of with $22.25 a week. That was my salary. And I worked 60 to 70 hours for that $22.25. I mean, that before the day of 40 hours. I worked 60 and 70. Got along. Yeah, I'm a long way this side of that. Still going. Didn't kill me. Got along. But when the Lord called me, I didn't have to leave anything. I didn't have anything to leave. I had no reputation. I had no big paying job. I had no social prominence. I had no political power. I was a nobody. And God said I could use a nobody. And I said, Lord, if you can use a nobody, I'm ready to go. And so I left and followed him, having left nothing behind. But you can't say that about Matthew. He left a great deal. I mean, he, it cost him something. Uh, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I've paid a little bit since I've followed him. Down in recent years, I've paid more than I paid when I was a young man. Didn't pay much when I was a young man. Didn't have much to pay. But in recent years, I've had to count the cost of any time. And by the grace of God, I paid the price to be a fundamentalist and a Bible believer to follow Jesus right down to this blessed moment. And will continue to do so by the grace of God. But I say Matthew left something really important. And every once in a while, God does call a man that's a practicing attorney. Not many, because not many of them would give up that. Our physician, M.R. Dehan, was an M.D. God called him, he gave up his medicine. Not many of them would do that. I mean, you can just about count doctors and lawyers on the fingers of your hands who go into the ministry. And the reason is because uh, their sours are too fat. And not many businessmen do. When a man gets uh, wealthy, not many of them ever get in the ministry. Uh, by the only crowd to get in the ministry are poor people, poor men. And uh, the others are not willing to pay the price. And the price is big. I mean, it's a big price to pay. And I sympathize with them. And sometimes, and this is what I wanted to say, sometimes preacher boys uh, uh, have a call, they tell me, and they say, I know I ought to go to school, and I know I ought to prepare myself for the ministry, but they hold on to that job. They hold on to that job. They hold on to that job. And they say, oh, I'll preach on the side, but they hold on to that job. I'll pastor a church on the side, but they hold on to that job. Well, I, in some circumstances, I think that might be necessary. But in most cases, I think it would be far better for a preacher to cut loose on that job. If for no other reason, it will teach you to depend on Jesus. And not DuPont or Duke Power or Southern Bell or some other great company. 
It'd be far better for you uh, to depend on Jesus than some big company, you see. And so Matthew said, though I've got the Roman government behind me, I'm going to turn all that loose now. And he did. He walked away from everything, much like Moses did down in the land of Egypt. And begin to follow Jesus Christ. Now that's a very wonderful text of Scripture, indeed. Matthew 9, 9. Now I want to note three questions with you about following Jesus. Jesus said, follow me. That's all he said, didn't argue. And by the way, God doesn't argue. When he calls you to preach, he doesn't argue with you. If you just won't preach, God will let you not preach. I wouldn't guarantee the result of it. But if you refuse to go to the mission field, God will just let you refuse. I wouldn't guarantee the result of it. But God will let you do by what you want to do. Many a man has been called to the mission field and something has detained him. Riches, pleasures, America, luxuries, conveniences, something has detained him and never gets around to it. And God will let that happen if you persist. He'll just let you do that. It may cost you a great deal to do it, but he'll let you do that. But most men that are called to preach say, Now, Lord, wherever you lead, I'll follow. Whatever it takes, I'll go. If you want me on the mission field, I'll go. I'll go. If you want me to pastor, I'll pastor. Whatever you want for me, you choose for me, and I'll be happy with your choosing. Most of God's men would say that and say it honestly. Follow me, the Lord said. No argument. And Matthew, just with no argument to respond, follow Jesus. And you've done the same. Some of you preacher boys that are in our Bible college, you've done the same thing. Exactly the same thing. God bless you. I do appreciate you. Three questions. Number one, what does it require to follow Jesus? Now, there are several things, as far as I'm concerned, that you must have to follow the Lord. Number one, it requires faith. Now, don't you get the idea that Matthew would give up his job, big paying job, without something on the inside of his heart that we call faith in God. He knew what he was doing. And what he did was deliberate and premeditated. And he had, he had the goods on the inside to challenge him to do what he did on the outside. When the Lord said, follow me, he didn't argue. He just followed the Lord because he had faith to believe that God would help him and God would lead him and God would supply his needs. When God called me to preach and I had the opportunity to go back to school, one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life is to learn how to study. After being out of school for 10 years, I have 10 years between high school and college. And to get back in the groove of, of studying books and writing themes and listening to a lecture without going to sleep. And some young men in our school haven't learned that yet. I have some sleep in every class I teach. I, they're not hurting me. I've already passed over that. Uh, they're the loser themselves. I have the same battle. It's a big battle and a hard battle, you see. Hard battle. I had to go back to school after you've been out ten years like I have. But uh, I'm so glad I, God led me back, you see, into that. And I'm so glad that he gave me enough faith uh, to, to undertake it. I look back now and wonder how in the world I ever did it. And my wife didn't suffer a great deal. We thought then we were having an awful hard time. She did and I did too. But looking back over it now, we laugh about it. Sometimes uh, she and I both just get talking about those days when I was a student at Furman and uh, didn't have anything, $22.25 a week, and we just laugh about it now. But it was a weeping situation then, now you believe me. It was a weeping situation. It was tough. 
And if you haven't got faith, you just won't do it. If your wife doesn't have faith, she won't stay with you. She won't do it. And if you've got the real faith in your heart, then you'll go all the way. You'll stay right with it. Just stay right with it. And I can testify with you, as Brother Larry stood up a while ago and gave that testimony, I can testify along with him that in the four years that I was in college, God took care somehow of our needs. I look back now and wonder where in the world and how in the world it happened. But it happened. And finally... In the, uh, in the summer of 1946, with a cap and gown on, I received a degree after four years of study. It's not easy, but it, it happened, you see. And God supplied our need. My, my wife survived it. And we had, uh, when I finished college, we had uh, all three of our children then. And uh, they survived it. They didn't kill us. We thought we was going to die, but we didn't. We thought we'd starve to death, but we didn't. And I imagine when Matthew got home that night, he had a pretty big situation on his hand to explain to his wife why he walked off his job that day. Well, I imagine Mrs. Matthew got awful excited when he came home and said, I'm no longer working for the government. What do you mean? I just want to say it. I'm not working for the government anymore. Well, what do you plan to do? He said, you heard about Jesus? I'm going to follow him. Well, she said, what on earth will I do? What will our children do? And Matthew said, well, we'll look to him. And we'll let him break loaves and fishes and feed us. He'll take care of our needs. And I imagine when Matthew and his wife got old like I am. My wife's not old, but I am. I imagine they sat down and laughed about it like I do. We sit down and laugh about it now. And the time will come when you can laugh about it. God will bless you, and he'll supply your need. If God will lead you, he'll supply your needs. Amen. I believe that sincerely. If you're where you ought to be, God will take care of your needs. Now, that's not to say that you're to sit down and drag your feet. That's not to say that God is to push you along. It is to say that you're to do all you can do. It is to say that what you can't do, God will make up the slack. So, what does it take? What does it require? It takes faith. It requires faith. Second, it requires obedience. Now, Matthew didn't argue with Jesus one bit. Jesus said, follow me. He didn't say, where are you going? He didn't say, what did it mean to me? He didn't say, how much are you going to pay me? He didn't say, how long are you going to be gone? He didn't say, which direction do you plan to go? He didn't say, how many are going with us? As far as the record goes, he closed his books up and said to his assistant, assistant uh, tax collector, I won't be back. The job's yours. And follow Jesus without asking any questions. Obediently, obediently follow Jesus. Obediently follow Jesus. Now, we don't do the same thing. Just obey the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Stand still to see the salvation of God. And if you work at it, and become faithful, God will supply all your needs, Philippians 4, 19, according to his riches, in glory by Christ Jesus our Lord. Every need you have, God will supply that. If you obediently serve God, obediently serve the Lord, he'll supply. Then number three, it takes surrender. Matthew had to surrender uh, that big salary. And I just imagine it was a pretty good salary. I couldn't prove that. He had to surrender... Uh, his contact with the Caesar in Rome. He had to write 
a letter of resignation sometimes later and mail that to the Roman Caesar and resign that government appointed position. He had to surrender a lot of his important friends. I would imagine Matthew knew more people in Jerusalem than Jesus did, humanly speaking. Because he'd been a tax collector for years and knew all the ropes and all the officials and all the big men down in Jerusalem. He had turned away from all of that and surrendered all of that popularity, all of that power, and all of that position in order to follow Jesus. It, demand, it requires surrender. Surrender. You know, the only surrender you've ever done that proves to be profitable is when you surrender to serve God. The world says that's crazy. That's crazy. But that's God's way. God's way up is down. Man's way up is up. And you never acquire it. But when you humble yourself, God lifts you up and supplies your needs, you see. And so it requires surrender. A surrender of your will, surrender of your family, surrender of your name, surrender of your image, surrender of your, of your, of your money, surrender of your property. Everything you've got must be put on the altar. And then again, it requires sacrifice. I would imagine Matthew had some lean days like some of us have had some lean days. Now I can truthfully say in recent years I haven't suffered financially. Uh, I have, I'm not wealthy but I've had all my needs supplied in recent years. But in the early days of my ministry there are times when I didn't have money in my pocket. I've heard Dr. Green tell him any time when he started holding his tent meetings and I remember those days. Dr. Green put his tent up on Lawrence Road uh, back in 1938, uh, uh, I believe, 37, uh, before I was called to preach. I was called to preach in 1940. And uh, I, that little tent was a 40 by 60. He later preached in the biggest tent you ever saw. But he started off just like any other preacher does. And that little tent he had on the Lawrence Road was a 40 by 60. And I worked till 6 or 6.30 in the afternoon and hurry home and clean up a bit and walk down the Lawrence Road down to where... Uh, uh, down to where uh, the uh, S&H Green Stamp store used to be. I don't know if it's still there now or not, but right along there about where the Church of God is on the Lawrence Road. Big open field then. Pleasantburg was not there. And he had his tent up there in that field. And my wife and I would go hear him preach. I'd sit on the front bench and hear Dr. Green preach. And I've heard him tell back in those days when he didn't have enough money to buy a hamburger. You've heard him tell that, Brother Horn, I know a lot of times. I've heard him tell that on the radio. And I don't doubt that one bit. Not a bit. Not a bit. I've seen those lean moments too. It requires sacrifice to follow the Lord. You don't, don't always get one. These young men that are now uh, here studying for the ministry, uh, they know something about sacrifice. Their wives know something about sacrifice. Yes, sir. Uh, their wives can enjoy the beautiful clothing and beautiful housing that other young women enjoy. I'll tell you, sometimes you ought to shake the hand of the wife and say, God bless you, you've been noble. You've been noble. These young women, they're wonderful. Most of you men wouldn't be worth killing if you didn't have your wife. Now, I think that'd be about my position. It's wonderful to have a good wife that won't nag at you and fuss at you and live in an humble house and, and uh, get along on a meager fare and not complain about it. That's the most wonderful thing a young man ever had in all his lifetime. There's a woman 
that'll suffer with him, you know, and stay with him and sacrifice with him. And it requires that to serve the Lord. You're, you're not going to be wealthy if you serve God, or popular if you serve God, or great if you serve God. It's going to be lean. There are going to be hard times down the road and difficult times. People will misunderstand you. Some of your own relatives will misunderstand you and whisper about you. And that's hard for a wife. It's hard for a man to take that. But it's worse for a woman to have to take that when she knows that somebody in the family is whispering about uh, what they are and what they're trying to do and, and saying that that's ridiculous, that's foolish, or to get them a job, build them a home, raise them a family. And here they are trying to study a tabernacle, trying to serve God, trying to plan for a life in the ministry, and they whisper about you. And that's hard to take. But uh, if you've got the real stuff, you'll make that sacrifice. You'll make it. Then again, it requires self-denial. Take up thy cross and follow me. Whatever self-denial is demanded, Matthew was willing to pay it. And it cost Matthew a great deal, and it's cost us a great deal to follow the Lord, has it not? Then again, it required diligence. Uh, I don't know. I would imagine Matthew had it easier the first day than he had the second day. I guess the excitement of, of saying, okay, I'll follow you. Follow me, said the Lord, and without any argument, he followed Jesus. That was difficult. But the next day, when he began to reminisce and think about what he had done, when he had time to talk with his wife and some of his relatives, the next day was more difficult than the first. And the next week was harder than the first week. And down the road, it took some diligence, some diligence to stay at the job. If you'd heard the voices of people, you'd have given up the ship and turned back. And the only reason that you're still in the gospel ship and serving God, you've listened to God instead of people. It takes diligence. Press on, weary pilgrim. Press on, you see. Not the first day, but the first week. Not the first week, but the first year. And just press on. Here I am after 40 years still going on. I was talking with, a, with a, one of my friends uh, uh, yesterday in the hospital, Mr. Tinsley, across the street. Uh, his mother lives across the street. He doesn't. But I was talking to him. I said, I don't plan to retire. God give him his strength. I'm going to give the rest of my days to God. You keep your fishing tackles. You keep your boat. I've got a set of golf clubs that I've had longer than some of you folk been living. I mean, I've got a set of wooden handle golf clubs. Then I've got a set of steel handle golf clubs, too. I used to play golf by the day when I was a young man. I don't plan to brush those things up. I plan to let them stay right where they've been for 40 years. Right? Right? I don't plan to stop. I want to go on for God, just give him the rest of my days. I've given him 40 years, and if i got four or five more, I want him to have those. I wouldn't mind preaching a sermon one day, then going home, go to bed, and just going to be with God. And I take my vacation on the other side. You know, my pay, my pay is small in this world, but my retirement program is out of the world. I got the biggest retirement program you ever heard of. And I waited, I get to heaven to enjoy that retirement program. I'm going on, you see. I'm not about to stop now. I've counted the cost a long time ago. And I'm going on as long as there's breath in my body, serving the Lord, 
visited in the hospital, told Miss Tinsley, as long as I can go to the hospital and drive my car and think halfway straight and preach halfway straight, I'm going to keep on preaching as long as Tabernacle put up with me. Stay right there with it. Amen. Amen. Why would I take out now that it's time to retire? And not retire, but refire. No, we move on by the grace of God. Now, the second question, what are its hindrances? To follow Jesus, what will hinder a man from doing that? It's not an easy thing. It's sometimes very difficult. And there are several things that will hinder you from following the Lord. And the biggest hindrance you'll find is self. If somehow you can handle that man that you shave every morning, uh, you'll get along very well. If you can handle him, you can get along very well. But if you can't handle him, you're going to. Seth will hinder you from following the Lord. The pleasures of the world and and the desires of the flesh. And uh, sometimes your family. You know, I, 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 I... travel a great deal of my uh, I try to pastor best I can but God somehow has given me doors and I've tried to fill those doors and appointments and I've tried to fill those appointments and that required even before I came to Tabernacle that I hold meetings and before this church was born I used to give six nights a week Monday through Saturday night come home and preach at Pelham on Sunday and start another meeting on Monday I did that seven eight years while I was pastoring at Pelham and I've been doing that Less of time, three nights a week, recent years, for 27 years here at Tabernacle. And doing that means I have to be away from my family. And I, I enjoy my family, I enjoy my wife. And I, I today, got Roger, I said, I, said uh, uh, I want to stay in a prayer meeting and go home with you tonight. That suited me just fine. Amen. I like that. I like that. I don't know if, I rather, I don't know if anybody would rather care home than him, one of my grandsons. And I, I'm glad he stayed with me. And I don't get to be with him much, you know. And so with my children, my three children. Uh, you enjoy yours. I've had to let my wife nurture mine. And she did a A1 job. And I've had to leave them many a time. I've driven the highways many a time weeping. I mean, had to get my hands out and get the tears out of my eyes so I can see the road. Homesick. Homesick not only for my family. But homesick for you. I get so hungry to hang around this place here. I find myself wishing I could sit down in the backyard and just lean against the wall and just sit there for half a day and praise God for his goodness and for you. I enjoy being around this place. And many times I've driven by Tabernacle on the way out of town and weep because I can't hang around. I've got to get on the road, you see. And people think that's glamorous. No, if you do it as long as I have, it becomes a real, real problem. And yet, uh, I have to so die to self until I, I say, I've got to go. So self has to be put on the altar. If you follow Jesus, you've got to die to self. There's some things you're not going to be able to enjoy as fully as somebody else may enjoy. But you know, I think God has a way of making up the slack. I'm not complaining tonight. Now, don't you, don't you get the idea that I'm complaining. Brother, if I complained, I'd commit a sin. And I'd have to go to the altar and ask God to forgive me. I've got nothing to complain about. If anybody in the world has got something to thank God for, I have. And I'm thankful. And I'm not complaining. If I had my life to live all over again, I want it to be the same way. It, uh, Seth will hinder you from following Jesus. But not only Seth, but sin. And that's the thing that 
stymies of many a man or woman. Had a letter from a lady over in North Carolina. I won't name the city because somebody might know who I'm talking about. We came in this week. Said, pray for our church. Said, our, our choir director and the pastor's wife have had an affair. And the deacons approached the pastor about it and the pastor resigned. Pray for our church. Isn't that an awful thing, the thing like that happened? That's tragic. And many a man has lost his ministry because of sin. Many a deacon has lost his ministry. Many a teacher has lost his ministry because of sin. Sin is a hindering factor. And then again, Satan hinders following Jesus. The devil. The old devil is the arch enemy of everything you stand for. When you try to serve God, the old devil breathes down your neck and threatens you and harasses you and lies to you and intimidates you. The devil is a hindering factor. Then the world hinders you. The world, flesh, and the devil. That's the enemy. The, the pleasures of the world, the excitement of the world, hinders you from following Jesus. Now, don't tell me that you're not enticed. And don't tell me that you're not tempted. I wouldn't believe a word of it. You say, well, I'm saved and sanctified. So am I. But this world appeals to me. I've got a flesh and a nature uh, that are, that's attracted by the world. And every day I live, I have to crucify that old man all over again. And to put it in the words of Paul, I have to mortify my members which are upon the earth. That means to kill out my members which are upon the earth. My mind, my eyes, my hand, my lust, my body. I have to mortify them every day I live. And you have to do the same thing. Because the world is an enemy to you following Jesus. I wish I could wave a magic wand tonight and put every one of you in a position where nothing in the world would ever tempt you another time. But I can't do that. As long as you're in the world, you're going to be tempted by the world. But greater are they that be with us than they that be with them. And by the grace of God, we have prevailed. And I'm not glorying except in the cross. But by the grace of God, I have been successful these years, 53 of them now, saying no to the world. That's not to say that I've been perfect. But it is to say that I've been victorious for 53 years. I'd rather die than lose my victory tonight. Number three. What does it require? Number two, what, uh, what, is it, what are its hindrances? And number three, what are its rewards? To follow Jesus, what are the rewards involved? To follow the Lord, what pay do you get? What reward can you expect? Number one, peace. A deep, settled peace in your heart that you can't find at any other task. There's something about following Jesus that's beautiful and wonderful and peaceful, and sublime. I'd rather be an old-time Christian than anything I know. Peace, the peace of God, flooding my soul is my reward. Then second, assurance, blessed assurance, that what I've done and am doing is God's will. Blessed assurance that my name is written down. Blessed assurance that God called me like he called Matthew. Follow me. That's the reward. Blessed assurance. I've doubted many things in my life, but I've never doubted that God called me to preach. And I'm so glad that I never doubted that. And then again, what's its reward? Victory. A few heartaches along the way, and tears along the way, and some defeat along the way. It hadn't all been victory. 
But I testify to you that I know the taste of victory. I know the delight of victory. I know the joy of revival. I know that victory is attainable. I've had some of it. And that's the reward of following Jesus. And then last but not least, heaven. That will be the climax of all of it. One day he's going to say to me and you who follow Jesus, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I shall make you rule over many. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. That will be a day for us. All the trials of this life will seem nothing then when we look full into his wonderful face. Follow me, said Jesus to Matthew, and Matthew followed Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.